Hello, and welcome to the Reversing Diabetes with Delayna MD podcast. This is episode number 179. I'm your host, Dr. Delaine Vaughn. If you are looking for strategies to live a naturally healthy life, you are in the right place. Today, we are going to talk about lab values. This is a question that I get a lot from people in the Reversing Diabetes with Delayne MD Facebook group. If you want to go join that, find it on Facebook, Reversing Diabetes with Delayne MD. Uh, ask to get membership. I don't even know you have to ask. I have to okay it. But either way, um, go ahead and get in that group. And that's an opportunity for you to have access to me with answers to questions like this. We're going to go over one because I really thought that it was a great question to answer that lots of folks probably have questions about. So we are going to talk about lab values. Before we get started, I do want to mention that if you are on medications, please be careful if you are making the changes that I recommend in this podcast. You have been medicated because of the way you have eaten in the past. When you change the way you eat, you may need different medications. If you don't make sure to have a great relationship or a clear line of communication with your medical provider and can't call them to get adjustments as your blood sugars change, you can get pretty sick with that. So please be careful. Call your doctor. Let them know what you're going to do. Start making the changes. Call them back and tell them when your blood sugars are getting questionable to you or wherever they've given you guidance on that and ask them what you what they want you to do with your medications. Be very careful. Watch your sugars closely. You can get very sick if you don't watch very closely. All right. Um, I also want to mention, please follow me on social media. This is where you can get information about freebies and seminars and webinars and five-day sessions and all the things that I do. You can find it on Instagram and you can find it on social or on Facebook, both at Delane MD. Everybody should have the opportunity to live a life that's free of diabetes. And this podcast and the things that I do for the general public is my effort to make that available to everybody. So find me on social media so you will have the opportunity to get signed up for those. All right. Lastly, leave me a review. Actually, it's not lastly. I've got some other things I need to mention. Leave me a review. If you're enjoying the podcast, if you're listening on Apple Podcast or iTunes or Google Play or Spotify or wherever you're listening, if you're listening on there, leave me a review, leave me a rating. Those ratings, those reviews make this podcast available to other people. The algorithm puts it out in front of more people with the more ratings and the more reviews that the podcast has. So if you found this helpful, if you have, you know, realized things that you didn't know were the problem and started to be able to really change your health because of this podcast, please leave me a review so other people have that opportunity. Also, if you're a long-term listener and you're ready, it's like the new year's coming, it's 2023 and you're ready to make these changes, send me an email, Delane at DelaneMD.com. We'll get you set up for a consult and get you started in the group and get you on your way to making 2023 diabetes free for you. Okay. Um, Oh, the last thing we are recording this. I am broadcasting this on uh, YouTube. So if you want to get a hold of this information earlier than when it drops in the podcast app, typically that's the beginning of the week, 
go to you to find me, my channel at Delane MD, and you will get notified when I go live on YouTube and you can find this information earlier. I did sneak in here today to do this. I didn't make any announcement. I usually do these on Wednesday mornings, but I've been doing the free five-day session. That's been so much fun. Um, I've been busy this week. It's the break root week. I'm doing this early before my kids wake up. I've got ear pods in because I'm afraid my kids are going to wake up and they distract me. So um, it's kind of been a different week. So I'm kind of sneaking in here to do this early. So, all right, let's talk about lab values and, and kind of what they mean and what we're looking to create with them. The first thing I want to talk about is our finger sticks. The, what I call, what we call it in the group, one of the clients started calling it this and I've ran with it because I think it's brilliant. It's the prick machines. The prick machines that we use, they're our home, what we call glucometers or glucose meters or blood sugar checkers, whatever words you might use. There's a variety of different brands. I have no horse in the race about which brand you use. But the finger stick machines, the prick machines, um, measure your blood sugar. Now, one of the main questions that I get is there's so much fluctuation, even from moment to moment in the blood sugar readings that I get. So somebody will check their blood sugar and they don't, typically they don't like the reading or they don't believe the great reading that they're getting. And so they check it again. And there's a variance between those two. So maybe the first reading is 110 and the second reading is 115 and they check it again and it's 108. And they're like, why is this quote unquote so different? So what you need to understand about our technology for measuring blood sugar is it is not super advanced. Like there is not such advanced technology and blood sugar reading that we can check your blood sugar and it be precise to the next reading. Okay. So this is a precision issue. Okay. You can check your blood sugar 10 different times and get 10 different readings. And you can do that on your prick machine, but this precision issue and this technology issue is also true for the hundreds of thousands of dollar machines that they have at your local medical labs, okay? This is just a technology issue. We do not have the technology to be more precise than that. So even when they draw blood from your arm and they send it off to the lab, they send that vial to the lab, that lab can run that vial of blood 10 different times and get 10 different readings, this is not an element of anything you've done wrong or your machine being broken or their machine being broken. This is an element of the precision that we have to test exactly what your blood sugar is, okay? So what you can expect is that if you take a blood sugar reading and it seems reasonable, I'm going to come back to that, it seems reasonable that that blood sugar reading can represent 10% above and 10% below that number. So if you take a blood sugar reading and it's 200, that may represent anything between 200 and 220 because 220 is 10% above 200, or that blood sugar reading can represent anything between 200 and 180 because that's 10% below 200. Same thing for your blood sugar reading of 100. 
10% of 100 is 10. So it could be 10 points above, so to 110, or 10 points below to 90, okay? You can have variance between 90 and 110. If your blood sugar reading is 200, between 180 and 220. I know that seems like a wide span, and it is, but do understand, if your blood sugar is 215 or if your blood sugar is 185, they're both too high. That's really what it comes down to. And seeing specifically exactly what it is is not as important as knowing it's too high, right? So um, do understand that if you do get a high blood sugar reading, like say you've been eating clean, most of your sugars typically are 125 after you eat, and suddenly you get a reading that's 225, like way off. Repeat that. Okay, repeat that that's not expected. But if your sugars have been 160 and you get a reading of 175, that falls within that 10% range, right? That 10% above 160. You probably shouldn't be surprised by it. And again, they're all too high. They just need to be ratcheted down. And that's what we learn how to do with these dietary modifications. So um, understand your continuous glucose monitors. Um, they sense they you know are put into your subcutaneous tissue essentially and keep a continuous reading. Some of those can be off too. That technology is not perfect. It's not bad or good. It's just not you know precision. It's never going to be super precise or accurate. You are getting readings. And whether it's 175 or 179 really is irrelevant. You are you understand that 175 is just too high. The um, CGMs are important to understand that sometimes the sensors get off and that their data can be off. So if you ever wonder if it's accurate, you really should check it with a finger stick machine, one of the prick machines. Um, and even that is, again, it's not going to be perfect. So for those day-to-day -day monitorings, do not stress about in-the-moment changes or, you know, yesterday my fasting blood sugar was 110 and today it's 125. That day-to-day -day reading is not as important as watching what happens over weeks and months to see it trend downward. That can be an accurate change, that 110 to 125, okay? That can just be what we're seeing in that day. Don't lose sleep over it. What we want to see is a trend in the right direction. So let's talk about hemoglobin A1C readings and what they mean. Many people are aware that that is a 90-day estimate or a 90-day average, really. It's not an estimate. A 90-day average of what your blood sugar has been. So hemoglobin A1C, the general um, explanation that I give people, hemoglobin is a molecule in your red blood cells that carries oxygen all over your body. Some of your hemoglobin molecules are different from other hemoglobin molecules. They're, I, I, this is ironic, but I, I say that they're like M&Ms. Some are blue, some are green, some are yellow, some are red, right? Like, they're different types, but the same molecule, essentially. They have little differences, nuances about them, but the same molecule. Some of those different types of hemoglobin 
bind to glucose and they carry glucose bound to it. Okay. They still bind up oxygen and do the function of carrying oxygen to the tissues, but they also bind in a different area, some glucose molecule molecules. So the percentage of those that are bound to glucose, like out of a hundred percent of the ones that can bind glucose, the percentage that is bound to glucose depends on the amount of glucose you have floating around in your system. So if you're a diabetic and you have a huge amount of glucose floating around in your system, you're going to have a higher percent of that hemoglobin that can bind glucose bound up to ox or bound up to glucose just as a mere effect of you having more glucose in your system. Okay. So the red blood cells and the hemoglobin get degraded and recycled every 90 days. So that's where we get that three month average. The blood sugar reading, or the, I guess the hemoglobin A1C reading that you get on any given day represents the average blood sugar that you have had present to, or presented to those hemoglobin molecules over the last 90 days. Okay. So that is what a hemoglobin A1C is, and that's what it means. Do understand that if you get your blood checked in October, like in the end of September, and then you get that reading in October and you continue through October eating the same way you were in September, but then November and December, you're like, all right, it's time to do this. And you start making all you join my group. You start making all these changes to your diet and your blood sugars drop. And then you get your blood sugar re, or your A1C rechecked in the end of December, early January. That reading is going to represent one third of it will represent what happened in October when you hadn't made any changes. Two thirds will represent what you've been doing for the last two months. So they may not, it may not be entirely representative of the dietary changes that you have made recently. Okay. So understand that that's what's going on with your hemoglobin A1C. Again, you want to see it trend in the right direction. A few other lab readings that your doctors look at, that I look at with my clients, um, in order to kind of get an understanding of their metabolic health, are triglycerides, the LDL, both of those are off of your um, lipid panel, your ALT, which is a liver enzyme, and then your fasting insulin level. And then lastly, I think it's kind of a nice um, thing to look at, even though it, it kind of represents something different, is your HDL, which is also off of your lipid panel. So I want to talk briefly about the triglycerides. Your triglycerides are on your cholesterol panel, your uh, fasting lipid panel, and they represent the amount of fat made in your bloodstream or represent the amount of fat in your bloodstream that is derived that comes from carbohydrates. So it is really a representation of carbohydrates. My understanding of the triglycerides is they are highly inflammatory and they are actually what is probably responsible for our heart disease. Okay. They are inflammatory and they are damaging and they're responsible for heart disease and they come from carbohydrates. The number you want to see is less than 150. Frequently, I will see the triglycerides go high long before I see the A1C elevate in a clinical setting. So before the diabetes is ever diagnosed, I see these triglycerides go high. 
the LDL, that's a low density lipoprotein. This is not a great marker of anything, period, end of sentence. It's just not a great marker of anything. There are um, subclasses or subtypes of LDL that really need to be uh, delineated and, and looked at before we can make any real determinant of what an LDL means. But your doctor is going to want to see this less than 100. If you have a diagnosis of type 2 diabetes, your doctor may want to drive this number down to less than 70. The reason that this is, is because there is a belief, even though I believe it, I think it's inaccurate, there is a belief in the medical community that LDLs are correlated or related or what's causing your heart disease. That is not entirely true. There is tons of evidence out there that this is a lot more nuanced than just this one number, but that is why your doctors want to see it low. And when they believe that when you have diabetes, you're at risk of heart disease and stroke. So we need to run down this LDL number as low as we can to continue to prevent and protect you from stroke and heart disease. So that's why they typically want to see that less than 70 in a type 2 diabetic. But definitely less than 100. Certainly understand that the insulin-resistant human being does not process cholesterol correctly. So it, it alters the way that the human body um, recycles and processes cholesterol. And what that means is sometimes these numbers are high and it has nothing to do with the amount of saturated fat or the meat that you're eating. It's an element of your insulin resistance. Once you normalize that insulin resistance, we can see these numbers normalize also. So let's talk about the ALT. The ALT is an enzyme in your liver and it is a direct marker of insulin resistance. Do understand that insulin resistance impacts your liver. It leads to non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, period, end of sentence. Children used to have their number one reason for needing a liver transplant in a child used to be congenital liver abnormalities, period, end of sentence. That's what it was for years. Over the last 15 to 20 years, we have seen non-alcoholic fatty liver disease be the number one cause, take over the number one reason as to why children get liver transplants. And it's primarily due to the high fructose corn syrup that we have in our sodas that kids drink. So that really uh, is a horrible, I mean, that's horrible that we see this happening in our kids. It's horrible that we see insulin resistance impacting our children so heavily. It's horrible. The food that we eat and the food in our um, food system is something that really makes us sick, period, end of sentence. But the ALT is what we will see impacted. You will see the alkaline phosphatase or the AP. You'll see the AST go up. You'll see the GGT. You'll see changes in other liver enzymes also, but kind of the um, basic screening marker is this ALT. You want it less than 20. Depending on um, your ethnicity, it can be as high as 30, but I always shoot for less than 20. I've frequently said, really, you want to see it less than 17. So um, that ALT, you want to see lower. The normal marker, like the, the laboratory, won't flag it as high until it's above 30 or 35, depending on the lab. So um, recognize you're going to have to keep an eye on this and drive it lower. The lab is not going to let you know that it's abnormal. So the fasting insulin is a num another number that we look at. Um, 
I like to see it less than seven, seven or less. Um, some doctors go by less than 10. Um, some doctors say less than 15 is fine. I recently just heard information uh, reported out that maybe less than five is really ideal or best. So um, you're definitely going to want to see it low as you can get it. I will. I offer this to my clients frequently um, when we're talking about these lab findings. I have had my A1C less than five for the last two years. So it's been 4.8, 4.7, 4.9. My fasting insulin level has been undetectable for the last two years, meaning that when I go into the lab and I'm fasting and they run my fasting insulin, you know, serum insulin level is what it's called. When they run that, there's none detected. Now there's not that there's not any insulin in my system. I'm sure there is. It's just that the technology of the test at, in the machine at the lab only tests down to, I think, about two. And so when mine reports out, it's always less than two. That's what it's been for the last two years. I am not near death. I'm, I think, okay, healthy. I think I'm doing okay with my health. You know, clearly I always look for opportunities to improve, but my health in general is solid. No doctors are going to try to treat me with any medications because there's nothing to treat. They aren't picking up any abnormalities on my biomarkers. Okay. So understand you can run that fasting insulin level quite low. Um, but we know that you want to be less than 15, certainly probably closer to less than seven and maybe even less than five. Okay. So that fasting serum insulin level, you'd want to have those numbers. I would shoot for less than seven. And then lastly, I want to mention that the HDL, the high density lipoprotein, the higher you can get the high density lipoprotein, the better. So some studies have reported if you can get this above 60 in men and 65 in women, if I'm remembering the numbers correctly, if you can get it higher than those numbers, that it is so protective of heart disease that it doesn't matter what any other lip levels are, what any other lipid levels are. So your LDL could be 120, but if your HDL is 70, you're protected from heart disease with that. So understand that um, that is what you want to see. You want to see that HDL super high. How do you get the HDL super high? That's something that like, okay, we know how we get fasting insulin level down. We get that down by we stimulate insulin less. We eat less foods that stimulate insulin. How do we fix the LDL? Same thing. You're going to want to normalize your insulin resistance. Same thing with triglycerides, same thing with the ALT, same thing with the blood sugars. But how do you get the HDL high? The two things that I have been told that, that I've learned over the years that will raise your HDL, healthy fats, eat healthy fats. This is your fish oil. This is salmon. This is tilapia. This is cod. This is eating fish, you know, healthy raised tuna. Eat fish. That will raise your HDLs. Exercise. That will raise your HDLs. Um, other healthy fats I meant to mention. Avocado. That's going to raise your HDLs. Um, making sure that you're um, eating a well-balanced diet of healthy foods primarily healthy fats, avoiding processed foods and exercising. That is what's going to raise your HDL. And then do remember, we want to see these things trend in the correct direction. Okay. So 
don't be upset if you're making these changes and you don't see them all normalize out in three months. That's not unusual. Okay. Nothing's gone wrong. It just is going to take a little longer. Keep at it. Over time, your body wants to go, you know, to go back to its baseline of being healthy. We just have to stop doing things that make it unhealthy. So I hope that this has been helpful. If you have any questions, you know, you can email me at Delaine at DelaineMD.com. If you're ready to start and make 2023 the last year that you're dealing with any diabetes issues, send me an email. Delaine at DelaineMD will get you set up for a consult and get you started in the program and we can get you on your way. I hope this is helpful and I will be back next week. Bye-bye.